This episode of the Chris Johnston Show is brought to you by Sports Interaction. Sports Interaction is your homegrown sports book where local takes on an entirely different meaning, focusing on the teams, games, and players that matter to you. Sports Interaction is on the ground on top of all the local trends and offering prop bets that you've never even imagined existed. From same game parlays to a best in class casino featuring thousands of games and live 24 seven dealers, giving you that Vegas experience any time of day. And now introducing the locker room, the first of its kind in Canada, a live watch party for the biggest games of the week, providing in-game betting tips built directly into the app sports interaction, your homegrown sports book, go to sportsinteractioncom slash SDPN to open an account. Bet local 19 plus please play responsibly. If you have questions or concerns about your gambling or the gambling of someone close to you, please go to connexontario.ca. Uh, I know that some in our audience know the finer points of hockey. The Chris Johnston show. We are your friends. The biggest stories bringing you inside the game. What did you hear? Powered by sports interaction, your homegrown sports book. Always remember to bet local. Here's Chris with your host, Look who's back from Sweden, everybody. Siege, back in his own crib uh, after a whirlwind of a week in Stockholm for the Global Series. Hope you had fun, buddy. Tell us about it. Dude, the bags under my eyes speak to the fun, although it's not maybe the fun you're thinking of. It it was such an awesome, cool trip. Um, Really unique. The one thing I hadn't really considered too deeply before I got there to have four NHL teams like all together for four days, five days in a row, uh, meaning that you could just go to, there's two rinks there, the main game rink, it's called Avicii Arena nowadays. And then the old rink, the original rink called Hobbit, uh, just across the way, literally the players can walk underground under a tunnel. Um, and so you go and hang out for a couple hours, you know, you got the wild practicing here, you got the Senators doing their morning skate here, the Red Wings are hanging out like, it it was the closest I could get to when I've been around those big tournaments like the World Cup or the Olympics, World Championships, where you have all the just like everywhere you turn, you're just bumping into hockey hall of famers and um, you know, current players and all that. And then to to be in a hockey country like Sweden, the the atmosphere around the games was just top notch. Like it didn't feel like from an event standpoint. I mean, the games themselves, like if you just watch on TV, you might be like, ooh, sloppy game or whatever, it wasn't the best NHL game, but like the event. Um, it was elevated, certainly, from a normal regular season time. And so it was quite something, I'll tell you. I, I've traveled a fair bit in my time and been to Europe a whole bunch over the years, but I've never had jet lag like this week uh, where I just – there wasn't one night that I was there that I slept through the night. Um, and what's crazy is that it seems like a lot of the the people that work for the teams and the players, the coaches, what have you, had the same experience. I don't know what that was. I mean – this time of year in Stockholm, there just is no sunlight. Like literally some of the days I'm talking zero sunlight, even when there was yeah. a little bit, the sun goes down by about three in the afternoon. Um, and so I, I wonder if it was just sort of a lack of light that had my body clock all off in addition to the travel and the time zones and that, but um, that's, that's not a complaint. It's just an observation. It's something everyone, especially those that had to play the games had to, to battle through. And we had four one goal games there pretty compelling storylines with, you know, William Nylander probably being the biggest star in, in the, of the four teams on the ground and then also start on the ice. But it was also so cool to see like Daniel Alfredson, Nicholas Lidstrom, Peter Forsberg, Marcus Naslin, Matt Sundin, you know, even, you know, Nicholas Cronwall, like so many former NHL players and so, so many great NHL players were just like hanging around, bringing their kids around. 
Um, truly, honestly, it'll be something I remember through my career. Like it was like, it was unlike anything I've personally experienced in my time covering hockey and covering the NHL and uh, really grateful I had a chance to be there. You did mention very briefly the World Cup. I'm going to get to some international competition talk at some point in the show. I have some questions. Uh, it is Ask CJ Day since it's Monday, so we'll get to that as well. But I would love to know, um, during your time in Sweden, what were some of the more compelling storylines to talk about that you got to see up close? Just anything that really stood out to you during your time in Sweden? Well, I mean, I'd be missing... I wouldn't be doing my job if I didn't just say William Nylander at this point in time. I mean, yeah. as, as journalists, we're looking for a story. This is a story that found us and it hit us over the head 17 times. I mean, you're talking about a guy who's walking red carpets at the Borea preview. He's got his whole family there. He's going on this show called Bianca in, in a tank top, you know, talking about his love life happened. His, and he his, admitted to like sending nudes or something like that yeah, was one of the questions that was asked. Apparently there's a game because there's other guests on it and uh, there's a game where the other guests are there and actually everyone has a drink and they say like, take a drink if you've done this. And so it yeah. wasn't that he brought that up. It's just he took a drink when that was asked, um, you know, did all kinds of what we would call traditional media in terms of talking to people like me, one-on-ones with the Swedish reporters. He, he appeared with Matt Sundin at a fan fest event, like in public. He did a, an autograph signing where they lined up for like three blocks. Like he does, you know, and plus he's, he's got all his family and friends around and then has the performances he does in the games. I mean, this is a guy who's got a point in all 17 games this year, who's in a contract year, who gets a chance to play two NHL regular season games in his, his home city, his home country, you know, puts up five points in those games, including the overtime winner wins a Rolex for the first game, probably should have won the Rolex for the second game with no disrespect meant to Morgan Riley, but I just think that I mean, I'm like the man has two wrists. Like you could have given him the second Rolex, <laughs> but <laughs> I, I just I love that. He has two wrists. And, and, and I got to say quite honestly, and I'm sure we'll get into the contract stuff and everything. The one thing that hit me over the head, I was in the corner after the game against Detroit, the first game the Leafs played there. And I just watched William in, in the stands with his family from, you know, from a safe distance. And it was just, I was like, man, like, this is what it's all about. As much as we all will talk about goals and assists and contracts and Stanley Cup chases and playoff rounds one. And like, I mean, at the end of the day, the guy's there with, he had 91 friends and family at the game. He's in there. His, both his grandmothers just seen him play live in an NHL game for the first time. You know, Nylander is one of six kids. His sisters are there yucking it up with them. They even actually took over the NHL Europe Instagram themselves at one point. Uh, Like you could hear his laugh. I'm not kidding over everything. And they stayed there until all the lights were turned out in a arena that night, like just hanging out with each other in the stands. And I just thought like, at the end of the day, this is what it's all about. I mean, as much as of course, all those other things are important and I'm not discounting them. And we focus on them on this pod as much as anyone else does. It just, it was pretty cool to see him have that kind of star turn to have everything in his life. Seemingly that we can tell just at a hundred percent all in this one moment. And that, so that, was unquestionably for me that, you know, that, that was the story of the whole trip for, for everybody, frankly, is that, I mean, it's too obvious to miss. You know, what's funny, actually, I, I figured unless you had something, I didn't necessarily want to just ask you about contract stuff. Cause it just seems like it's more or less status quo. It just seems like the person, the personality you're right. That was the big story of these last few days. And as someone who's not in that market, like, I don't really have a sense of what Willie is like 
to deal with as a media person it, you just i just see like the memes like online and maybe some people think of him as like a himbo or something like that but like i i don't have any real i was about to ask you more questions about like you know what dealing with willie nylander is like well he's he's honestly one of the nicer people you could deal with like he's very very always been friendly you know, he's been through some stuff in his time in Toronto. I mean, especially the early days, I think there was a lot of talk about, you know, will he be traded? They can't keep all these young guys. Like he always really conducted himself well through that. I think he, I think what you see is what you get. You know, one thing Sheldon Keith pointed out that I think we shouldn't lose sight of is he, this guy basically grew up in the NHL. Like his dad was an yeah. NHL player for a number of years, uh, you know, of his formative years. And so I, I think he's just very comfortable in that environment, comfortable around a dressing room, you know, I've, I've heard in the past from people who work for the Leafs, like if they have, you know, a, a surprise visitor of the room, let's say it's a, a kid, maybe who's dealing with an illness or something that, that Nylander is the first one rolling around on the carpet, playing with the kid and, you know, behind the scenes, you know, I think he, he really is a nice guy, but he also is a pretty guarded guy in the sense that you never feel like you fully get let in and, and a, a true understanding of what makes him tick. But I mean, you know, I think you, you saw there, he was, he, he let it all hang out, I think, so to speak, in that week. I mean, when he got handed the, the the Leafs put out their video from the dressing room after the second game where he scored the overtime winner, and Tyler Bertuzzi gives him the Leafs belt, and he says, you know, Willie runs this town. Like that's that that was kind of the feeling you had. And you know, as for the contract, I would say it's not it's status quo in that they don't have an extension. But it, my senses are are ongoing conversations there. I, I think that there's still a push to get something done with Nylander. You know you can't imagine the prices going down uh, by any stretch uh, or, or it's not even necessarily that it's going up, but, but in the summertime, early part of the summer, when, when they had those negotiations and Nylander's camp stated their case and the Leafs probably balked at it uh, because I do know it went quiet for a number of weeks uh, after they talked around the draft period. Now he's, he's backed it up with his play that, that, Hey, look that, that number, that number that's out there might, maybe it's gotta be a little bit more than that. And so, you know, I, I think that the Leafs are going to push hard to get it done uh, still. And in my sense is those conversations are ongoing as opposed to just everybody's waiting it out. Um, but yeah, what a, what a week. I mean, that's the, the only thing, the only thing if you're the Leafs said to this, that, that you could have come back with is if, if you had got the extension done there, that's about the only yeah. bit of regret you have. Right. And it's no regret, but I'm just saying like, it seemed like everyone had a fun time. They managed to get four points out of the two games Nylander individually had a great game, but so, you know, Tavares, Matthews, Marner, like all these guys, Riley put up points. Um, you know, you got, I got a sense that they were pretty damn excited when that game ended, just that they got through a tough trip and, and their own jet lag and all that. And they, they still did okay. And they were excited to come home, but the only, the only better gift of coming home would have been if they had a Nylander extension done as well. Uh, any other storylines around some of the uh, the other teams like uh, Minnesota? I mean, it's not they did not have that great of a trip by comparison to what the Leafs have had. Are the Red Wings and the Senators as well? Anything else stand out? Yeah, very difficult. You know, the Red Wings they they come back from four goals down in a game and but lose in overtime, um, and then lose their next game. So that's you know that's a tough trip for them coming home with one point. Minnesota comes away with two. Uh, points for a shootout and an overtime loss, but you know, a, a tremendous amount of heat on, on their group with all the games they lost heading into the trip. And that's, it's, that's kind of the crazy thing is I'm sure individually there was fun moments for those teams, but it, you almost get a little different taste when, when you, when you don't get the success you want, you know, flying all the way back home. You know, I think one thing to watch with Minnesota, you know, it doesn't seem that 
Dean Evison, their head coach's job is imminently in danger, but, but certainly, you know, Bill Guerin uh, has made no secret of the fact, you know, did a nice story with uh, Mike Russo and Joe Smith over there where he was pretty open about how disappointed he is in the team. You know, keep in mind, this is a team that signed three of its veteran players in the early parts of the season or at the end of training camp. Those would be the players we might be putting on a trade board if they weren't signed, if they were unrestricted free agents, you know, Marcus Foligno, Ryan Hartman, Matt Zuccarello, they'd all be extremely attractive deadline um, trade candidates in a world where they didn't get extended. Now, you know, you wonder where that leaves the team because they've, they've dug a pretty big hole. You know, Ottawa, I, I thought, you know, they've, they've kind of righted the ship here, right? I mean, we focused a lot on some of the things that, all, that they've dealt with in the early part of the month, I think for them to go over and, and, you know, have, have some success in those games. You know, the Stutzler goal was pretty wild. If you saw the one where he, he, he basically yeah. batted it out of the air, um, you know, and, and that's a big moment for him. Another European guy who had family over there for those games, you know, I think for them to, 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 you know, get some points in the bank while they were over there is, is good for the senators. And so, yeah, I mean, look, it's, it was just a cool trip all around. Love seeing Daniel Alfredson on the bench with the senators. I wonder if that's something that, you know, maybe continues at some point going forward because he has been sort of working with players in more of a coaching capacity of late. So that's something we'll keep our eyes on, but, um, you know, really, really fun time, really busy few days. And, uh, I'll tell you, I, I didn't, I overestimated how hard it would be to keep track of the league when you're living six time zones ahead and sort of busy doing what you're doing on the ground. Like there were days I woke up and I looked at my phone. I'm like, Oh my God, there's still games going on. Uh, <laughs> like it just like, it was hard to, like, it felt like it was hard to tell the start of where one day started and the other one ended. Um, but that's a sign of a good time, isn't it? Oh, I, yes. It seemed like you had yourself a very good time in Sweden. Just saying. Yes, sir. No, I mean, not, it wasn't like a crazy time like that. It was just, but it was so cool, man. I, I love international hockey. Like I'm, I'm thirsting now for um, even more than I already have been for what might come when it comes to international hockey tournaments, other chances maybe to get to Europe and be with our colleagues over there. I mean, there's so many great reporters working on that side of the pond that I call friends. And, you know, that was a nice part of it too, if I'm being honest, just socially seeing so many of my, my Swedish and, and Finnish and, you know, other country uh, colleagues face-to-face uh, -face again. Uh, hold that thought, whatever thoughts you have on international hockey, because we will get to those on the other side of sports interaction. Welcome to You Can Bet That. Remember to hit up sportsinteraction.com slash SDPN for all of your gaming needs. CJ. It's time to look at uh, the leaderboard for the Vezina Trophy. As according to Sports Interaction, Jake Ottinger and Thatcher Demko tied uh, for uh, seven to one best odds uh, to win the Vezina Trophy. You have Igor Shosturkin and Elias Sorokin in that pack as well. Connor Hellebuck there. Uh, Aiden Hill is also on that list. Uh, him and Linus Allmark, 21 to one odds to win the Vezina Trophy. What say you? Well, look, I think that that, group is pretty strong, but it just shows you how wide open it is. This isn't one of these trophy races, at least, you know, at this stage, still relatively early stage of the season where there's a clear front runner. Uh, Demko probably would be my pick to this stage in the year, but that, you know, that's not necessarily a prediction of how it's going to go with, you know, still 60 odd games uh, to go for every team. You know, it's, it's been uh, an interesting season between the pipes. You know, what about someone like Jeremy Swayman? I, I think maybe the challenge with the Bruins, of course, is, is he and Allmark still split starts pretty closely, although we've maybe seen Swayman start to take the net. I mean, that, that could be a good value buy that pops into my head as we have this discussion. 
17 to 1 odds. Uh, Jeremy Squaming has better odds compared to Linus Allmark, again, at 21 to 1. Right. And so are we are we predicting, is he forecasting that he's going to get a heavier part of the starts, or do they end up pretty close to something like a 45 37 ratio that might make it hard for one or the other to win? I, you know, I don't know. But I mean, look, you, you've got all good goaltenders there, great goaltenders on, on strong teams. I mean, maybe even UC Soros, could he come from somewhere back in the pack? Obviously Nashville this year, not really in the mix at the top of the standings, but you know, he's, he's consistently in that group of three finalists, it seems for the Vesna award. UC Soros, by the way, 11 to one, uh, according to sports interaction, you can find the entire list on the sports interaction on the sports interaction website, sportsinteractioncom slash SDPN for all the best odds before game in game and the best props sportsinteraction.com slash SDPN. This episode of the Chris Johnston show is brought to you by SeatGeek. With over 28 million downloads, SeatGeek is the number one rated ticketing app. There are more than 70,000 events every day on SeatGeek, including concerts, sports, festivals, and more. With NFL and NHL underway, the NBA as well, SeatGeek has your tickets to every game. And even artists like Travis Scott and Zach Bryan, both of those guys are on tour. You can go to that app and check it out. They put all the tickets across the web in one place to make sure you're getting a good deal. And each ticket is rated on a scale of 1 to 10. So look for the green dots. Green means good. Red means bad. Every ticket is backed by their buyer guarantee. And SeatGeek is the only site that lets you return your tickets ahead of the event with swaps. Use the code Johnston for $20 off tickets at SeatGeek. That's $20 off your first purchase with the promo code Johnston. Make sure you click the link in the description to download the app. CJ, we should get to some other NHL news and notes uh, before we get to ask CJ at the end of our show. I'd like to start in Edmonton. It it, it doesn't look good, man. Just, I'll be blunt with you, it does not look good. Uh, They lose 5-3 against the Florida Panthers. I mean... I think we've long past hit the panic button with this organization, but the more they don't seem like they're riding their own ship, the more it really looks like that they're not going to make the playoffs. I think Colby Armstrong on Sportsnet yesterday said that they're on like a 53-point pace. Like, it's it's not looking good for the Edmonton Oilers. At least that's my assessment of it. What do you see out of that team? Well, look, they need to get some saves. And I, and I know there's a little bit more to it than that. I mean, you, you see... Now, now Connor McDavid had a, a pretty good game in Florida despite a loss, but but he and Leon Draisaitl have not been their typical selves in terms of you know goal and point production, and so that's that's definitely a factor of where they're at. But they're just allowing too many against, and you know this is a team I know has has worked the the trade wire pretty hard already this year, looking to see you know what they might be able to do at the goaltending position. You know they've already sent Jack Campbell to the American Hockey League. They brought up Calvin Pickard who played. Uh, the game against the Panthers, you know, Stuart Skinner has struggled. So, you know, I think that they're, they're looking to f- see if there's anything they can do to, you know, from a management level to, to improve the roster there. Um, but I'm with you. I mean, the, the, the hard part in the league, when you, when you get it going the wrong way, it's just, it can be hard to get it back momentum wise. Right. And, and, and they've, they've dug a pretty big hole. I mean, I'm not going to at this point come out and say they, they aren't going to make the playoffs or they can't make the playoffs. I, I think that they can, but it's going to take a dramatic turnaround and, and it's going to take them turning into a dominant team um, almost immediately because they would have to play at, you know, hundred, obviously hundred plus point pace in order to, to get the, the points necessary. So 
Um, you know, I think it's it's clearly a, a challenging time at Edmonton. You know, you, you see it in the body language of you know Connor McDavid's post game interviews. You know, the fact that they did make the coaching change. Um, you know, I just think that they've endured a lot, and and we're not even to December, and and they're way way back in the standings, and so. Uh, you know, I, I don't know what more can be said other than I think finding a way to keep the puck out of their net has to be priority number one. As much as we can focus on where McDavid and Dreisaitl are in the scoring race and how it, it's not where we're used to seeing them, you know, having to click down a page or two on NHL.com to find their names. Um, you know, I think ultimately the reason they haven't won more games is is just with, with how many pucks have gone in their net. I forgot who made the point on Twitter, but they were looking at a screenshot from that post-game availability with McDavid and they've just commented on how worn out he looks. And it's like, we're, we're, we're at the three quarter mark of the season. Three quarter. So like, so we're not even 20 games into an 82 game season, right? So here, here's the thing. Like I say, I say three quarter mark because apparently if you say quarter pole, like that's like the wrong thing. It's like a horse horse racing thing, right? Yeah, like if you say quarter pole, that's supposed to be like you've gone three quarters of the way through. Well, so you nearly twisted my my travel logged brain into a pretzel there with I'm like three quarters. I'm like, didn't the year just start? No, it's just you know what? Forget it. Yeah, I was just trying to appease horse people with the verbiage. I'm <laughs> well, sorry. I'll say this: we're not even twenty five percent of the way into the season, and and what you're saying is true. As you're seeing, you know, there's just a lot has happened there, right? And look, the season is a grind. There could be great days ahead. You know, it's not as though I'm not, again, I, I think there's a danger of being too much of a prisoner of the moment and being like, oh, he's fried, you know, or something like that. I mean, clearly the, a toll has been taken with the way the years began. You know, McDavid himself made it clear. He didn't want to see a head coaching change. Um, so, that, and and there's parts of that, that that it would be hard for us to understand. And it's not about the individuals in this case. It's just, it's like you get a new boss midway through the year, right? It just, all of a sudden the expectations change. Maybe the patterns change, the meeting schedules change. Like all of a sudden you you don't have what you would call a routine with that person. And, and both sides, it's challenging for the head coach. Of course, it's challenging for the players. And so I think that there's an element of that. All the losing takes its toll. Obviously the media is, is pretty, the spotlight's pretty bright in Edmonton on, on that team. And so they're dealing with a lot of questions and, yeah, there's just there's just a lot of shit. Those there, damn man. Mark Spector questions. Oh yeah, yeah. Mark's been Mark's been front and center. I, you know, whether it was the, the question of Jay Woodcroft and in, in San Jose after they lost the game, or, or the one in Florida, which I think you know, even by his own admission, probably came out the wrong way or didn't come out in a way that befitted the moment. And, and look, I, I've I've been around a team. I've I've done the day to day cover team every single day thing, and I asked all kinds of questions. I wish I didn't, or they just didn't come out right, and so. I'm I'm going to be the last guy that sits here and says, you know, how dare someone, you know, say, do that. I mean, look, it, there's it's also just bad form. Like just, we don't need to do that for him. Right, but, but I'm saying here, I'm not even defending. Well, I am defending him in a sense, but like when you're every day, they're asking questions. It is just as hard as being every day. They're answering questions because sometimes when you answer them and you're tired or you're frustrated, it comes out the wrong way in an answer. Sometimes when you're asking them, it's just like your brain is, it's just, I'm just saying, it's really easy to sit way back at home and be well rested and watch the games on TV and say, how could this person do this or that? I mean, look, it's everyone's right. But it, when you're, when you're kind of in the battle and that's what it's like when you're covering a team every single day, 
it's, it's just, I'll tell you, it's, it's a dream job, but it's freaking hard. And, you know, I did it for six or seven, eight years in a row with the Leafs where I went to every game, every practice traveled, didn't sleep. I, I just, I have a lot of respect for the people, men and women that do that around the league. And there's a lot of them that, did, that have done it 20 years running. You know what I mean? Now that I've stepped into more of a national role, I, I'm not, uh, I'm not doing that same kind of work, but it's, it's, it's not always glamorous and sometimes just screw it up. And anyway. I, I, I've I've hung around you at work. Uh, it's just it's a lot of working. You work a lot. You you move around a lot. <laughs> well, <laughs> I mean, look at I understand that there's someone out there willing to take my job too. So I want to do it well. And plus, I I love it. I should I gotta say I love it. That's it was I made the point a little bit when we talked about Sweden, but it, it was just so cool to be able to bump into so many people in one place. Yeah. That was kind of my point because I love the I love the bump in. Uh, and, and, you know, just picking up tidbits of information and, you know, it, anyway, I'm getting off track here, but you know, the, That's okay. I, I'm just saying that it's, it's really easy to sit on the sidelines and say, why would you ask this question? Um, cause generally speaking, it, it, it's not a good job. It's not a fun job when you're the reporter going into a room where the team's lost as many games as the Oilers have lost is all I'm saying. You're trying to find a new way to discuss things. You're trying to get honest answers. And it's a delicate time. It's usually kind of a little bit almost awkward in those sorts of rooms. Obviously, there's a lot of frustration, all those sorts of things. And so I'm, I'm just saying it's not as easy as it looks from the outside. Exactly. Um, how many have, I don't know if we've talked that much about the Vancouver Canucks, at least in a positive light on this show. But considering the fact that we're too busy chasing keep... ambulances in every other city, right? Yeah, that's basically it. But like, I don't know if I've asked you enough about how good they've started this season, this season. Like, do you think they're legit? Oh, I think they're legit. I mean, you, you get this deep in with the start they've had and, and the performances they've had from their top players. I mean, that's, that's what stands out to me. I mean, I was always perplexed by the Canucks in these recent years because you'd look at it and you got Pedersen, you got Hughes, you have Demko, plus, you know, lots of other skilled players like JT Miller. Like they had, they had guys, right? But right now what you have is all of those players are performing at an absolute high level. I think in the case of Hughes, has probably even taken his game farther than he had before. And obviously he was already a top tier defenseman. You got Pedersen right up there among the scoring leaders too. And Demko, I mean could be a Vezina trophy type of guy. I mean, th this is what it takes to, to move a team forward. And so, yeah, I think they are legit and they might have the best hopes in Canada right now of winning a Stanley cup. I mean, I, I don't think that's a hot take. Um, you know, they, they still need to, to address their blue line the way that, you know, I think the Maple Leafs would like to do at some point. And so, you know, there's still work to be done for management to, to give the roster its best chance. As, as the season goes along and things develop and they get closer to the playoffs, but you know, they, they've earned, I think the right for us to now say, okay, they've, they've taken a step, a huge step forward from where they've been. It's working under Rick Tockett, the you know head coach who took over through the season last year and their stars are being stars. And you, you look at any team that's down the standings, you know, usually what they're missing is kind of that star level player. And, and the Canucks have a couple of them performing at that level. And so I, you know, they're, they're not a perfect roster or perfect team the way I don't think really any team around the league is at this point in time. But I mean, they, they got a chance to, to really make some noise if, if this continues. And I don't, I don't see a ton of reason to, to, to project a fall off for them. 
Okay. Well, to only two teams in the league as of right now have a better record, uh, or at least have accumulated more points than Vancouver, Boston, and Vegas. So, uh, yeah, two teams you know something off, about winning. Yeah, I was about to say if the Vancouver Canucks fall off after that, like I don't know what to tell you because they look for real, and there are like at least two MVP candidates on that team between Elias Patterson and Quinn Hughes. Like it's to see them move that puck around. It's it's amazing. Like they're well. And they got legit. Prince Harry on board now, too. Do you see uh, Rick Tockett was uh, asked about uh, giving him props, and he, uh, he had no idea he could do that? No. Go on. <laughs> yeah, uh, I don't have the full quote in front of me, but uh, Rick Tockett was asked about that, and he, he apparently gave Prince Harry, uh, he gave him a little fist pound. And, and, that's, uh, not, yeah, and he, that's against like the protocol? Or no, something? I think it's fine. It's just he had no idea if he was allowed to do it. He just, it just happened, and he was just like, oh, my God, like that happened. That's like a funny quote that surfaced from the post game availability last night. I, I love the seeing the shots of them, like like cheering in the crowd, being confused yeah. by a goal that was overturned by goalie interference. You know, it's funny. I, I don't. They're not really in the royal family anymore, but uh, yeah, you know, maybe, maybe you can do whatever you want when you're out of the royal family. Fist bumps. That's, that's probably it, right? Like if you're out of it, you don't have you to can worry. Do a bro about hug. Wow. You can dap. You could do like a handshake if you're really cool with like Prince Harry. I mean, I don't know if you want to do that with Meghan Markle, but like Prince Harry, you might. Yeah. I mean, I don't know, you know what? You know what? If I had a handshake with Meghan Markle, that'd be pretty dope. Yeah, are you kidding? We don't have a handshake. No, it's because we don't see each other in person enough. I mean, we could still have a handshake, even though I mean, I don't, I don't think we need one, but like, just because we have that distance doesn't mean we can't have a handshake. Do you know what I didn't even tell you? Like, I what? total fumble for me. What? Um, do you know how many people I've met in Stockholm that like love our podcast that live all over Europe? Like, like I literally quite a bit, right? Like tons. I mean, like, I mean, dozens, actually dozens of people who came up and are like, Hey Chris, you know, I'm, I'm living in Germany. I'm living in Austria. I live in Slovakia. I'm, I'm here from Gothenburg. Love your pod. I'm a hundred percenter, you know, tell Julian, I said props. Love the short Kings. Like I heard all this stuff. Like it was almost surreal um, because, you know, I think we've talked about that, but just this idea that, that people who are living in places that we can't even imagine are listening to this thing. Uh, but, uh, there, you know, that was the one thing too, about that event is you could tell if a lot of the NHL's hardest core fans from all over Europe managed yeah. to, to travel there just cause it's obviously more convenient than coming all the way to North America. And, you know, I know Steve Dangle got mobbed. He was there. Uh, if he saw his LFR live yeah, outside I saw the rink that. with, you know, 100, 200 people there, whatever it was. He got yeah. asked by that one fan uh, if Willie could keep it up. That was that one funny clip yeah, that yeah, surfaced. I saw that. <laughs> Do you know what's funny, too? Actually, this couple came up to me from Gothenburg, Sweden, um, during the intermission of one of the games. And, you know, they're, they're talking to me. We're from Gothenburg. They, they were telling me they went to their first live NHL games last year uh, during the Tampa series. They went to Toronto and saw a win during that series there. They, I think they watched another game or two in Maple Leaf Square. You know, and we're just chatting the way you would. And I said, so how did you get into the Leafs? And they said, Steve Dangle. Like, that was their reason for being Leaf fans. It wasn't like, oh, my dad loved Matt Sundin or, you know, like any of the reasons you might have guessed. Because, you know, if you if you grew up somewhere else, like your reason for cheering for a fan is going to be even more arbitrary because you don't have a home team. Do you know what I mean? But Steve Dangle was literally their reason for being Leaf fans. I thought, like, how cool is that when you talk about reach and, 
That's pretty funny when you think about it. A man suffering because of his favorite team. That opens the door for other fans to suffer with him too. That's hilarious. And then you have these people (laughs) who are from, you know, Southern Sweden who are traveling to Toronto for playoff games so that they can suffer alongside Steve. Like it's just like, (laughs) it's like, it's like meta or something. Right. But like the whole thing is kind of crazy, but you know, I think that there's something to that. And so anyway, that, that was really cool though for our pod. And I'm sorry, I didn't share that with you earlier that just like how many people are out there listening and from like all over the place. I got to tell you, like it, like for me, that's almost like more fuel. It just, cause you know, it's obvious, you know, if you live in Canada or whatever that you're, you might want to listen to our pod like ours, but we appreciate all of our, our listeners on, on various sides of the pond too. Yes. Well said. Uh, thank you to everyone. Uh, Imagine that we have a hundred percenter in Germany. Like that's wild I mean, to me. I mean, it is wild. It's super cool. It's super fun. Imagine if we get more of those that they they ask us to do like a live show in like Berlin <laughs> or something. Well, no, we're gonna go to the next global series and live it up there. That my dream with this podcast is that like when it gets to a point where like the big events are just happening, like we're both just there, and then we just do shows there. That's my dream with this show. Honestly, in hindsight, we could have done that. We could have done that in this case. I didn't know that. But there was enough people there that if, anyway, it, it could have worked. I actually did even, you know, Mike Russo and Joe Smith, they have a pod uh, on the Athletics Network about the Minnesota Wild. They did a live show at a pub there, and I, yeah. went, in, I went and appeared live on it. They had, like, at least 200 people, like, in Europe, showed up to a live show on a Friday night in Stockholm. Like, they could have, you could have been doing anything else with your Friday night, but you showed up at O'Leary's pub and, and watched Joe and, and Mike do their thing, which I'm not... There was like a billboard where they were advertising their pod like somewhere in Sweden. There was yeah, like a photo going go. around. But I'm just saying like it was... That that part was eye-opening. I didn't share that aspect of the trip. I was focused on like storylines of the teams and everything, but it was also cool on a personal level to have that, that kind of response. By the way, uh, for those who uh, listened to today's uh, episode of the Athletic Hockey Show, you probably heard that excerpt of uh, CJ on with uh, Mike Russo. So uh, unless there was another interview that you did, I assume you referenced No, that's that. a different one. So it's a different one. Okay. Yeah. So they did a live yeah. show on Friday night last week, and I was going to the Leafs Red Wings game, and I stopped by and did like half an hour on the way, like in, in an hour and a half before the game or whatever. And it's a big pod week for you. I mean, I can't even keep track. Yeah, I was on the Leaf Report, too, with Myrtle yesterday. Yes, yes, the, and there from, wasn't even Jonas Siegel there. I was from the Air Canada Lounge at Heathrow on my layover. But, uh, yeah, the uh, – but anyway, they they got 200 people into a live pod in Sweden. I just think, like, wow, like, sometimes the power of this microphone is even bigger than you can imagine. It absolutely is. Uh, one quick thing before we get to ask CJ – um, there's been some discussion about uh, the possibility of international best-on-best best hockey uh, in the coming years. Uh, one idea that's been floated around a four, maybe six-team event, Canada, the United States, Sweden, Finland being involved. Uh, does that sound like a cool idea? It seems like the, there could be some finishing touches being put on that and the possibility of, of the World Cup and the Olympics kind of alternating every two years after that. Where are we at with international uh with international hockey and seeing our seeing NHL players compete in those events. Yeah. So February, 2025, they're looking at a four nations tournament. I don't think it's just an idea. I think it's well beyond idea stage in terms of planning. And, you know, look, the, the league feels it can't have 
a Russian participation in the tournament on that short a time frame, given what's going on in the world. We've seen Russian athletes in all kinds of sports barred from participating or participating as a country. Um, so that's, that's kind of partly, I think what's informed this, it's also getting late to organize that sort of tournament. So I think if it's a four nations tournament or whatever branding ends up being placed on top of that event, it would be seen as a stepping stone back into international hockey. Um, you know, no one's pretending it's as good as the full real thing, but you know, it's better than what we've had for all these years where it's just been a blank calendar. And then, you know, really the return to best on best hockey, you know, you're looking at the 2026 Olympics, which, you know, kind of seems far away, but really we're just talking two and a bit years from now. It's not, not that far. I mean, if, if that ever got ironed out and, you know, that's still being worked on in terms of what kind of agreements would be in place for insurance and travel and all the things that would need to make it happen, you know, that would get pretty exciting pretty quickly once that's confirmed, right? Because we, we wouldn't be too far out from projecting rosters and, you know, whose stock is up and down and who's on the fringes of the U.S. team and the Canadian roster and all of that sort of stuff. So, you know, I, it feels like we're moving back into that period where international hockey is going to happen. You know, the first step will be this this smaller um, tournament, uh, most likely assuming everything gets gets done and dusted for February 2025. And then every second year from there, let's hope, because I'm at this point, it's very clear where my allegiances and, and desires lie. Like, I want to see regular international hockey. I think it's it just makes sense for the sport. I mean, look, we just come home from Sweden where they sold 13,000 plus tickets to four games in four days. Um, like clearly there's, there's an interest in lots of places around the world in the sport. And I think there's lots of cool things ahead on the international calendar. If we asked you to put together a mock team Canada lineup for February, 2025, would you do it? Yeah, I hate that, but I would do it. I've always, I remember back in the day I was working at the Canadian press and I was doing one every month for like a year or two leading into the 2010 Olympics. I mean, it, it's fun, but it's, it's hard, right? Like it's like, very difficult. I, I guess it's easy in the sense that you really can't make a wrong choice with team Canada because you can make two team Canada. So when you're when basically when you're deciding what the fourth line and the extra forward looks like, I mean, like you're, you're, you're putting all-star caliber players on that line either way. It's just, it depends on what the coaching staff and management want. It's, it's a good, it's good water cooler fodder kind of story, but uh, I'd prefer not to do it just yet. We're, we're still a ways away. Oh, we're ways away. It's, I Who's was just playing goal. That. Who's playing goal. Uh, it's not that great for Canada in comparison. Or it's, to and it's not that it's not that great necessarily. I just don't think it's that obvious. I mean, like, th- think of it like the like the United States could put out Jake Ottinger, Connor Hellebuck, Connor Hellebuck. Thatcher Demko, John Gibson might not even make that. Jeremy Swayman might not even make that team. Canada, it's like Jordan Binnington, Carter Hart, Logan Thompson, Aiden Hill. Those names aren't as sexy as what the U.S. might be able to put together. If the Russians were allowed to participate, that would be like Shosturkin, Sororkin, Vasilevsky. Like, right? Canada, in terms of goaltending, it's just that's not – you say it's not obvious. It might not be that great. Like, is Marc-Andre well, Fleury the I'll best this, option this they is have? This the good no. news. You only need one goaltender in the net at one time who plays capably to win. So those other countries have three or four or five options that all look great, but they still have to figure out which which one person can carry the load if they need. So, I mean – And it might still be better than whoever Canada puts out, but you have to play the games, right? Yes. 
And Aiden Hill did just lift a Stanley Cup with Vegas in pretty dominant fashion last spring. So, it's, you know, I'm not saying I'm not trying to hate on who Canada has. There's just not it's not like the old days where you went into a tournament with like Martin Brodeur at his peak or Roberto Longo or Patrick Waugh. Like, it's just it's not as obvious as it used to be for Team Canada in, in sort of historically about who who would be the goaltender selected, Carey Price and, and Sochi, you know, that that kind of thing. Exactly. Anyway. Time for us to get to some questions uh, for Ask CJ. It is uh, an Ask CJ Monday. Let's get to these questions. Mm, let's try this one from Zach Smith 44 on Twitter. What happens first? A Nikita Zadorov trade or a William Nylander extension? Oh, that's a good question. I'm going to go with a William Nylander extension. Mm. So that... Let's frame that. I assume a Nikita Zadorov trade. Not, I mean, I'd be shocked if there wasn't a Nikita Zadorov trade by 3 p.m. Eastern time on March 8th, which is a trade deadline. So I'm, I'm essentially predicting or guessing that we're going to get a Nylander extension sooner than that. Okay. From Johnny Margarita, we've heard a ton about William Nylander, but what about two other pending UFA wingers who are off to good starts? Jake Gensel and Sam Reinhardt. Gensel, I mean, I think... I think certainly you're going to see him remain in Pittsburgh. I mean, he's, he's kind of part of the fabric with that team. I know they wanted to, to let things breathe a little bit, see how the season started, the fact he's off to a good start. And remember, he was, he was going to be injured. It, it was thought to miss a bunch of games at the start of the year, and he came back sooner than expected, and it started pretty well. You know, Reinhardt, I'm not as clear where it's going to, where it's going to head. Um, you know, but – Look, Florida is a great place to play. It's a great team, and he's it's been a great fit for him there since since coming over from Buffalo. So, you know, I, I think that both are are in positions for raises, much like Willie Melander is. And what all three kind of share in common is, I do think they're they're likely to stay versus you know taking it and testing the market. But you know, we'll have to see how that develops over the season. And and you know, I don't think any of the three of them are in a position where if they don't sign by March eighth, that their team's going to be looking to trade them. So it, it, there's a little different vibe to those kind of talks than, than, you know, like when we were looking at the Flames pending UFAs, because the idea is if you're not staying, you're going because this is not a season where Calgary's truly in a cup mix. I mean, all three of Toronto, Pittsburgh, and Florida are trying to win a Stanley Cup. I'm not saying whether they, what the odds are of that, but, but, you know, I think it changes the dynamic of negotiations. And so I think that there's a little bit of time for all those things to sort themselves out. Here's one off Discord uh, as we continue to talk about Sam Reinhardt or another name, potentially. Is there any truth to Sam Reinhardt's Wikipedia article where he, pref where he prefers to be called by his full name, Samson? As a sports reporter, how do you determine a player's preferred name? Uh, the person on Discord who sent this, the name is Dash T. That's, that's just their name. I've never heard that about Sam Reinhardt, that he would be preferred to be called Samson. I didn't even know that was his name. Um, I didn't even know that either. So I'm not sure if that's true, but I mean, I have an easy answer. I mean, certainly if it's a player you're covering, it's very common to ask, you know, how they prefer to be referred to. It's, it's very common to ask, you know, how's the correct way to pronounce your name, especially if you're talking about a European player who's, you know, getting their name anglicized to some degree when they, when they come over and are playing in North America. So I, I think the, the easiest way is just, just to ask, but I, I have not asked Sam. And so I don't know if that's true. I, I think it's just that his name is, I mean, we've already, we've always referred to him as Sam. I feel like we'd all know 
if it would just be Samson. It's just his full name is just Samson. Right, I but guess it, that's just didn't it. he say that he'd prefer to be known by his full name? At least the question says that, but I don't know if that's necessarily right. true either, unless I'm missing something. But I mean, it's it wouldn't be oh, weird to oh, go up and... Found it. Uh, an interview with WGR Sports Radio, 5.50 a.m. Reinhardt stated that he prefers to be called Samson as opposed to Sam. And this is from 2015. Oh, wow. Well, we learned something I, know, I have nothing to add. It's just, I guess we should ask him and adjust accordingly. We, like, lots of players have changed the pronunciation of their names, like that maybe they came in the league and they didn't want to say anything and they came to be known one way. And then, you know, it, it wouldn't be, it wouldn't be unprecedented if all of a sudden mid career, we started calling him Samson, but I, I just don't know myself if that's true. Okay. Well, we learned something today with that. Um, I'll get you with one final question with STP talking about transit systems. I was wondering if you had any experiences this one, I think, is for me with the C train in Calgary. And then as a follow-up, you can both answer. Favorite transit system you've had the pleasure of using in your careers? Huh. Uh, I've never used the C train in, in Calgary. I just I have a car. I just drive around and get to where I need to. I don't necessarily need to use public transit. Favorite transit system to use, though? I mean, the one in Montreal is really good. Uh, the TTC actually got me to uh, Scotiabank Arena in a time crunch when I was there a couple weeks ago. So I, I don't have anything bad to say about them. Uh, Washington, New York, they have some pretty good ones. San Francisco's got a pretty good transit system as well. London Underground is the king for me. Oh, yeah, the two. That or, that or Tokyo. I lived in London for a year when I was younger and, and loved that and would never even think of – I never took a cab probably the whole time I was there. Like, I lived there for a year. But you can get everywhere you need to go with the London Underground. Yes. Um, I take the TTC a lot. I mean, I live here, so the, it frustrates me because it doesn't always work the way you want it to. Or there's you see some sketchy things. But, you know, you might be guilty of looking to that one too close up. Do you know what's funny? I've been to Calgary a whole t bunch. I've never been on a C train. So I, I'm aware of it because there's like those streets downtown where you cross the, the tracks. And yeah. I, I know there is a transit system above ground there, but I don't I don't know anything about the C train. Does you have like any favorite like restaurants or bars you frequent in Calgary? Not really. Um, I I remember going out in that Eau Claire area a fair bit when I've been there. Mm -hmm. um, you know, as I've told you, my buddy lives there, like my my oldest friend in the world, and so quite often when I go to Calgary, I go hang out at his house and he like barbecues or makes dinner. Um, so it's not necessarily a place where I have like a favorite restaurant. I mean, I've eaten steak there uh naturally given the yeah the alberta ties but uh i should say too in stockholm i just took the subway every day i, I literally bought a week pass i have a green st card for stockholm transit and uh it was very very useful and i don't know if you notice this but my william nylander's father michael was even photographed taking the, the subway there so it's not just the not just the son that's taking the ttc the leafs games his dad the uh, frequents the subway as well nothing wrong with taking public transit nothing wrong with that Anyway, sir. Uh, that's going to do it for our Monday edition of the CJ Show. Uh, we'll be back on Thursday with stick taps and more fun stuff. Subscribe to the podcast, uh, whether on Spotify or Apple. Uh, subscribe to the YouTube channel for the SDPN. Subscribe to our Discord as well. And uh, be sure to check out uh, 
uh, CJ at uh, Reporter Chris on Twitter and all of his great stuff at The Athletic as well and all the podcasts he is on uh, between the Leaf Report and uh, The Athletic Hockey Show. Again, that conversation with him and Michael Russo will be on uh, Tuesday, which is today, uh, that edition of the show. Anyways, CJ, well, let's uh, let's talk on uh, Jersey or Thursday, as we say. Yes, and thank you, everyone, for our jangled schedule because of travel and all those logistical issues. So we're back to Mondays and Thursdays moving forward. For CJ, I'm Julian. So long and peace. The Chris Johnson Show. Powered by Sports Interaction, your homegrown sportsbook. Always remember to bet local. Inside the game, twice a week. Follow Chris on Twitter at ReporterChris. And follow Julian McKenzie at JK and McKenzie. The Chris Johnston Show.